What's up, everyone? This is Clawing Through History, presented by Bruins Diehards. I'm your host, Christian Renzi. And I'm RJ DeMello, and on this week's episode, we take a look back at the Stanley Cup blackout of 1988. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the second episode of the long-form version of Clawing Through History, new and improved from the uh, from the video series. It's great to be back, RJ. What's going on? Hey there, man. Good to good to see your face again. I like your background. Um, just a man I would I would die for, Patrice Bergeron. Uh, you know, it's coming here from sunny and, and hot Portland, Oregon, and and drinking a. This one's a Von Ebert, which is a local, uh, pretty small brewery here in Oregon. Their Volatile Substance Northwest IPA. Very nice. In my Sam Adams glass, of course. What do you got going on your side, Christian? Yeah, so uh, I have a beautiful road trip that's spelled R-H-O-D-E. That is from Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, back in your day, RJ, when you were a young a young man in college here in uh, in Rhode Island, it was just Newport Storm. That's kind of all they did. But uh, now Newport Brewery is doing a lot of great stuff, and it's really funny because you're drinking a Northwest IPA, I'm drinking a New England IPA. All right, you from uh, from Rhode Island, so that's pretty funny. Wait a minute. So I always thought the brewery was Newport Storm. Did they rebrand, or is that just one of their beers? I'm confused. It, I don't even know if they make Newport Storm beer anymore, but the brewery is wow. no longer called Newport Storm. Apparently, according to this can, it is called Newport Craft Brewing, and uh, it's it's quite good now. You know, it makes sense with the rebrand. They they were like a, a mic, uh, like a micro brew of sorts before that was a popular thing. And to keep up with the times, you got to kind of remake yourself because that place was like good for two thousand and. 11 but not for today so yeah they were around uh long enough ago where i don't even think they were legally allowed to can their beer um yeah there are bottles which you don't my voice is gonna crack again all podcasts i can feel it but uh, (laughs) i don't know maybe i should start doing throat exercises but um yeah they were doing bottles for a while now cans uh rhode island i believe is allowing you to buy two cases of beer now instead of just one uh, which is pretty recent. Wow. And, uh, so these like Quaker laws are finally getting adjusted, huh? Right, exactly. I remember um, you couldn't buy like beer or alcohol on Sundays for the longest time, and they finally changed that. So Yeah, you couldn't go to the packy on a Sunday. Yeah. Oh, man. I remember people going to like, you know, they all have local names like Gleason's and Ferreras and going to Ferreras on Saturday and stocking up to make sure that you got enough beer to last you both days. But RJ, it's great to be back uh, doing this again. This week, I'm going to shut up a little bit more and you're going to talk. That's right. Yeah, I I went down a rabbit hole. I watched a lot of uh, old TV footage on YouTube for you all to do this. And I've got a story that I think is pretty cool um, about the power going out in Boston Garden during the Stanley Cup finals. Do you know about this, Christian? Do you know about 1988? Uh, as you know, I'm, I'm significantly younger than you are, so I was not around in 88. 
I guess, I guess you weren't either. Neither was I. <laughs> <laughs> you were almost around. Um, but yes, I, I was somewhat familiar with the story. Honestly, pretty recently I heard it. Um, but I don't know too much about it, so I'm excited to hear what you uh, are going to say. Uh, I will say that um, they've gotten better about... Uh, the rink is nicer now, the new rink, the TD Garden, but the ice still has its issues in the current garden. Interesting. Interesting. Yes, you bring that up. We're going to be hearing about some real issues. Uh, <laughs> this, the old barn, the old Boston Garden was a a wonderful home, uh, you know, home rink advantage, but a, just a, a really old and outdated and, and tough place to play for everybody involved. And this story epitomizes that. I'm going to, I'm going to be taking you on the journey today. I'm going to need you to like imagine with me here. So are you ready to go on, immerse yourself? Imagine that you are back in 1988. I am. I am ready. Okay. So like I just said, imagine it's May 24th, 1988. Anything for you by Gloria Stefan is top of the charts. Never heard that song before. Listen to it for the first time today. <laughs> is it and, a banger? <laughs> it's, uh... It's a ballad. It is a ballad. That's for sure. Uh, 80s ballad. (laughs) And uh, Crocodile Dundee 2 comes out tomorrow. Went on to be the number one movie. (laughs) But more importantly, the Boston Bruins are playing tonight in game four of the Stanley Cup finals. Now, for being honest with ourselves, we're just hoping to avoid the sweep tonight. We're down 3-0 to the Edmonton Oilers, and they have names like Gretzky, Messier, Grant Fuhrer, Yari Curry, and Glenn Anderson. All of those guys went to the Hockey Hall of Fame. Damn. So the Bruins are clearly outgunned, despite they do have Ray Bork, Cam Neely, and Rick Middleton. Uh, but to be fair to Nifty, it's his final season, so there's only so much in those old legs. And now a quick trivia for you, Christian, I want to ask. Yeah. Who do you think led the team in goals that regular season? 1988. 87-88, that's right. I want to take, well, I would have said Middleton because he scored a lot of goals, but you just said it was his final season. And this might be crazy considering he's a defenseman, but was it Ray Bork? It was not. I like your thinking. It's oh. It was Cam Neely. That was, that was obvious. I should have said that. <laughs> but who led the team in assists? Ray Bork? There you go. All right. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. But what about penalty minutes? Cam Neely? No, that's a that's another good guess, but it's Jay Miller. Miller had 304 penalty minutes in 78 regular season games. The math whizzes at home already know that's about four minutes of penalties per game. And I was just going to say, was he ever on the ice? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would be like, you'd get one shift, go fight somebody, and you're done. It's the 73rd most penalty minutes in an NHL season in all time. No. <laughs> So I'll be honest, I was just looking for an excuse to use that stat. I I like Jay Miller does not come up again in this story, but I just really wanted to talk about how somebody could get more than 300 penalty minutes. And that was their role in the team. No big deal. I love it. So the game starts in the absolute worst fashion possible. Uh, Anderson, uh, Glenn Anderson puts Edmonton on the board just 10 seconds in. And it's a breakaway for Anderson over the line and in for a score! Anderson scores, and it took 10 seconds on the backhander. Well, we said it before the puck ever dropped. You take chances, sometimes you're going to get fired. It's face-off. Bork picks up the puck. 
it's like calamity in the neutral zone. Uh, puck turns over, they break into our zone, and it's just like a backhander that kind of squeaks in past Andy Moog. It is backbreaking stuff. And so the Oilers, uh, then they go on later in the period and get a two-man advantage after a bad penalty call. And I'm not just being a homer on this one. If you watch the replay, guy skates through Andy Moog's crease. He kicks out his foot to make the save. Guy trips over Andy Moog's foot. They call the penalty on Ray Bork, who was right behind him. And so the Oilers convert the five on three and take a two nothing lead. So here we go. Okay, we're down 3-0. We're down 2 nothing. Great. We're, we're, getting, we're getting swept out of this series. I can imagine a, a five on three against that Oilers power play. Yeah. You got like Gretzky kind of playing up top, and and they're oh yeah the names they're calling out you're a Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer to Hall. Right. What are you gonna do? Um. So we're down to nothing, but later on in the first, rookie Greg Hoggood, he's like twenty nineteen twenty years old defenseman, he's able to pull him back for the bees. It's just a minute and a half later. He collects a pass coming in from the point. He hesitates for a second, and that kind of like makes the goalie go down. And he roofs it. And crowd goes wild. It's 2-1. Bruins are back in the game. End of the first period. So, okay. We're watching at home. We're thinking, well, there'd be still get a shot at this. We're only down a goal. Let's regroup. Let's come back out. So, now... It's a warm day in Boston. And even though it's now getting late into the evening, maybe 9 p.m., 8.30, 9 p.m., the temperature is still in the 70s outside. Yep. And so, as we were just talking about earlier, the garden is just about 60 years old at this point. And, of course, doesn't have air conditioning. Oh, God. So, as a result, a fog settles over the ice, and it just worsens throughout the game. And so if you look at old footage of the broadcast, they show a fan with a thermometer, like a little like circular thermometer with the red hand. You, you know, you've seen these things. Can you guess what the temperature read in by the glass? I want to say 82 degrees. Oh, you are very close, sir. That was a great guess. 84, roughly. Let me ask a question. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. Yeah. I don't understand. How can you not have AC? You have teams back then playing in LA, right? They're playing in warm climates all over the country. How are they not having AC in these rinks? I don't know. Well, other rinks may have had it. I'm saying because the garden was built in 27, 28, it didn't. Fair enough. And so it was. it's iconic on both hockey and basketball, the garden. So like there was an NBA Finals game where the temperature on the court read at 97, and they were giving the players oxygen. So Thanks. the garden was not meant for anything to happen in it after like April. And here we are May 24th and it's just sweating and sure. Everybody in there is sweating. It probably smells great. Every, the entire arena smells like a locker room, a hockey locker room, let, let alone just, you know, the players themselves, they have to deal with this fog situation. And so in the second period, the referee comes up with a, with what he thinks is a genius solution. Apparently it had done a couple, been done a couple times before and whenever there's been fog at other rinks. He gets both teams, entire squads from both teams, out onto the ice and has them skate around the ice together to try and dissipate the fog. <laughs> so 
So you just got 40 guys skating around, la-di-da, the refs too, thinking, yeah, that'll get the fog out of here. No. It's like, it's like peewees. Yeah. So that doesn't exactly work. And so the teams play on in the fog. Uh, now, six minutes into the second period and on the penalty kill, rookie Glenn Wesley, who we know after oh, last episode and in the infamous Cam Neely trade tree. Yes. He steals the puck from the great one, Wayne Gretzky, near the blue line. Now, I think Wayne was getting a little cocky. He, uh, he basically was trying to put – he was skating towards the blue line. Wesley was following him, and he tries to backhand the puck through Wesley's legs and go back into the zone. And Wesley reads it. Bl- so, yeah, maybe Wayne was getting a little cocky there. The frog, he holds it. He's broken up. Wesley breaks with Benjamin. And low. I mean, he's a great one, so you could be cocky. And you are up 3-0 in the series and have a lead in the game. I guess it's kind of like, eh. Would you you ever do that, Christian? You ever pull off a move like that? You know, uh, like I didn't say it in the last episode, but I did play at a very high level. Uh, till the age of 14, I played for the uh, Warwick Junior Hockey Waves. Oh. But no. No, I did not do that. <laughs> uh, c- quickly, can I just say that in 1988, Wayne Gretzky only scored 40 goals. What a schlub. Only 40, huh? How many assists? Yep. He had... It looks like he had 109 assists. <laughs> he, had 100, he had 149 points that year. <laughs> oh, my God. It was a good year. Yeah, oh, different era, I guess. Yes. <laughs> Unreal. Well, but it's nothing nothing compared to '86 when he had a uh, 215 points. So Jesus, the guy was decent. So we established that he is amazing player, and we've also established that Glenn Wesley is able to steal the puck from him. So shout out to the rook who went on to have a storied NHL career. Uh, and he skates the puck all the way down the ice. He's got a two on one. He chooses to shoot. The defender takes away the pass, so he shoots, collects his own rebound, and scores. 2-2. Garden's going mad, you know, like, fuck yeah, just stole the puck from Gretzky, scored. We're back in it. It's 2-2. We're going. A little over a minute later, and now we're on the power play. And uh, this is something I've noticed, and we alluded to it earlier with all the penalty minutes for, for our friend Jay. There were a lot of penalties in this era and just a lot of power plays. There was like something like 14 or 16 penalty minutes in the first period of this game alone. People were taking them left and right. And so we go from scoring a shorthanded goal to a little over a minute later, have a power play and face off. Wesley gets it at the point, rips a shot, 3-2. It's pandemonium in the old barn. Face off to the right of Fjord. Lindsman out on the power play with uh, Sweeney and Crowder. Wesley, back for Wesley. Wesley fires. His second in a row, Bruins lead three to two. Well, let the kids play all night. Wesley is, he can't do anything wrong at this point. Two goals for the kid. And uh, we think we got it. We're sitting at home. You're probably got a snack. You got a beer. You're celebrating. You're high five if anybody's over. You're loving life. Drinking a Narragansett. That's right. A good old Narragansett. You know, maybe you're going to watch Jaws after this. I don't know. (laughs) 
by the way, Glenn Wesley, sorry to cut you off again. Um, that guy played so long that he won a Stanley Cup with the Carolina Hurricanes in 2006. Yeah, he played for a while. <laughs> Till 08. Yeah, it's unreal. Some of these guys in the broadcast, they also talk about somebody who I don't really mention here that got traded away from the Oilers earlier this season, this season being 87-88. They traded away Paul Coffey. Who is another guy that played until like 2001 or something. Just wild. And you're like, oh, okay. All right. Moving on here. We're still in the second period. We're up 3-2 now. Upper deck is shaking. Oh, yeah. They're basically on the ice. There's a great, there's a great, there's a great clip if you go back through the footage. That we score the third goal and they cut to like the cameras in the crowd, you know, type thing. And it's on this older look, Italian looking man with sunglasses, like a white polo shirt and looks like, uh, you know, like something with some olives in it uh, as a drink. And he does a little like shimmy shake of his like belly type thing to celebrate the goal. And you're like, I don't know what's going on there, but I'll have whatever he's having. He seems to be having a wonderful time. Just came from the North end. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, exactly. Exactly. Looks like he just walked in from the North End. Looks very 1988 and having a grand old time. So the barn's going wild. But then we have some sloppy play in our own zone. It gives the Oilers a chance and they capitalize. And with 3.23 to play in the second period, they uh, tie the game at 3-3. So kills the atmosphere in the rink. You know, we had our hopes up. We thought we were... Pulling away in this one, we're going to be able to get the game, and not so fast. Tie game. Now, imagine sitting in front of your TV. You're pissed that we've given up the lead. Perhaps you steal another swig of your beer. Do your thing that you're convinced is a lucky charm. And you're getting ready for play to resume. I mean, let's get one back. Let's get it to 4-3 before the period gets over. And then, all, all of a sudden, as they're showing the replay of the goal, the broadcast just cuts out. With Craig Simpson having control of it, Gretzky passed it in front, missed his man, and came off the board. Maybe you go and you like wiggle your antenna on your TV, or you turn it off and then on again. And like nothing. It is nothing to do with your TV. It's funny. Uh, I remember this sort of happening in the Super Bowl. Uh, with the 49ers and the Ravens, but the broadcast didn't cut out. Just the lights in the arena went off. So this was actually like everything went out in yes. Boston? It was one of those, like, your screen goes goes out and you're like, what the hell just happened? You know? Yeah, but most people thought it was their TV. Yeah. And, and you're like, okay, yeah, did I lose the signal or something? Like, whatever. You're going back, you're figuring it out, nothing. And now, unlike today... um, like you, you know, you couldn't like go on Twitter or something and be like, what's going on? You're literally just, you're without any info. You can't find anything out unless something shows up on the TV. Jeez. So you're just sitting there. And now this is where a little departure, because obviously us being Bruins fans in New England, we would have been watching the game on Nesson because back then they allowed the regional carriers to have the Stanley Cup. It's not like now we're, Nesson gets like, what, the first round and then that's it, right? Yep. So Nesson was broadcasting the Stanley Cup. But 
since the best coverage I could find of the night um, is on ESPN, we're going to pretend we're viewing the national feed this evening. So maybe okay. you were on a nice vacation plan to like Atlantic City and you're catching the game there in your hotel room. Or you're, uh, you're at Revere Beach. I don't know. <laughs> trying to think of a summer vacation in Boston. You got to go uh, to Hilton Head, South Carolina. Yeah, exactly. Where do New Englanders go? So we're watching the game on ESPN tonight. Now, after a pause in the ESPN broadcast on a generic network logo. So like it goes out and then after a little bit, a ESPN logo just comes up. And then after a pause there, a card goes up and it reads, due to a power loss at the Boston Garden, the Stanley Cup hockey game between the Oilers and the Bruins will be delayed. So you get a little bit of info. Uh, this is crazy to me. Like if this happened today, I would lose my mind. Like I can't imagine watching. I mean, they were down three games to none. But like, imagine if it was a tied series or something. Like, oh yeah, you can't you can't just end a game like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you're you're like sitting there and you're like, what power loss and like be delayed for how long? Whatever. So like, I guess you know you keep it on the channel, you keep it on ESPN, and more time passes, and still, of course, there's nothing to nothing to check. You can't even call somebody like, unless you know somebody, somebody calls you on a payphone outside the rink who was in the building or something. So you're in the dark as to what's going on. Pun intended. Literally. Uh, <laughs> and you're sitting there finally, uh, with each team's logos appearing on the screen. So you got the Oilers and the Bruins logos pop up the voice of the one and only, and only 41 years old. Doc Emmerich comes wow. through live from inside the building. Finally, we get a chance to clue you in on what's happened. At about 9.30, about 10 minutes ago, the power, the main source of power here at Boston Garden went out. Right now, you are viewing the proud emblem of the National Hockey League. But here in Boston Garden, we can describe to you that there is faint light within the arena, enough for people to see to move back and forth. What has happened with three minutes and 23 seconds to go in the second, is that the officials have decided now to tack that time onto the third period, create our normal intermission now, and then hope that the power can be restored. The emergency generating equipment is operating, so the ice will be, if you consider it great so far tonight, the ice will be as good as it has been. He's on the phone. Uh, so they have to call in on the phone to give the updates. Because uh, the phone lines like will work, but they don't have power yet in the building. So Doc calls in with his update. At roughly 9.30 p.m. on the East Coast, the power went out in Boston Garden. So stunned fans inside the arena like lit matches and lighters and stuff because, <laughs> you know, you didn't have a cell phone to turn the flashlight on or something in those days. And so people started lighting stuff up and everything. And police and staff began working to get fans out of this like just dark Boston garden. I guess there was a little bit of light, so it wasn't pitch black, but like it was dark. And so the players lingered on the ice for a while before they were instructed to retreat to the locker rooms. It's decided they'll take the intermission between the second and third periods now, and they will hope to resume the game at the end of intermission. And they will tack the remainder of the second period onto the third period after the break. 
what a like ad hoc like we're gonna take an intermission and then the third period is gonna be 23 minutes and seconds some seconds so sorry did you say they cleared the arena while it was this was happening yeah and there's there's no like pa system no nothing so like word of mouth they basically are like all right everybody let's get out of here and like had to just like corral people out and so they didn't have like uh generators back then or anything <laughs> like they had a generator that kept the ice cool that managed to kick on. So there would be a surface to play on if the light, if the lights were able to come back onto the building, but that's it. So yeah, other than that, it's like, there's no way to communicate inside. Like you, you're, you didn't know nothing watching your TV at home. They didn't know much more in the arena. Like you're just kind of like, uh, this is crazy. Like it, this is 1988. It's not 1938. Like, they should have some backup systems here. Right. Anything at all. And that's even, they say it in the broadcast doc, uh, and the, them allude to it. Like, uh, you know, like if anything, this will, this should motivate them to get like an emergency PA system so they can communicate with people. If something like this happens, just have somebody yell really loud. Yeah. Get a bullhorn. Oh, you know, like everybody out. It's uh, it's real ad hoc, and you'll see that the rest of this is pretty ad hoc as well. <laughs> you know, it was a professional sports league, but it's not the same professional sports league that we've known. It was still pretty amateur. It, it ain't the NFL. It's the NHL. <laughs> yeah. So for now, it seems like uh, this game will get going again after the intermission. Uh, so you keep on the TV, you crack open another beer, you get ready to see if we can come out in the third and send the series back to Edmonton. Um, the only problem is when you hear Doc Emmerich's voice again at around 10 p.m. Eastern, it's still via telephone. So 30 minutes, still no power. He's still calling in. This time they have like a photo of like the banners at the garden as the background instead of the logos while Doc talks. And so he sort of speaks to different rumors about how and why the power went off. So there's no like communication. There's no idea. At first they heard that some wires had overheated and it would just be a little bit for those to cool down. It would be fine. Then they get word that a transformer across the street blew. Uh, That rumor ended up being the correct one. So that's a little bit bigger than just some wires overheating. So it's going to be a little while. So, so did the power go out in other parts of the city or is it literally just TD? That is a great question. It didn't come up in any other thing I found. Like there's plenty of articles about the game and stuff, but there's nothing about like 10 city blocks went out. So I don't okay. know if the transformer across the street was specifically for the garden or if it was for the area. That's that's a question I actually don't know. Nobody cared because they just were concerned about the Stanley Cup final happening. So they Oh yeah. Because now, notice. now they've got like 10,000 drunk Bruins fans on the sidewalk outside. <laughs> That's not good. Wondering what's going on. They even, the broadcast, they even make the, one of the guys uh, makes the joke because they had Doc, they had, uh, who did I say was also in the booth of Doc? Bill, Bill Clement. Bill Clement. And then they had uh, two sort of like studio guys, you know, like that they're in the arena, but they are the like in, intermission hosts. Yep. One is Tom Meese. He's an ESPN uh, host who uh, tragically passed away drowning in a pool in, in his mid-40s, in the early, early 90s. Uh, and Mickey, Mickey, what, sorry, sorry, Mickey Redmond. Okay. And so 
one of the four, I don't remember exactly which one, makes the joke saying, I'm glad my car is not parked outside right now. <laughs> so, yeah, the crowd's all out there. They're feeling you know, like they, uh, they've been enjoying a hockey game, and now they're wondering what the heck's going on. So the scene inside the, the rink is like as hectic as can be. And the way Doc described it, it's like, it's kind of r- ridiculous. It's pretty interesting. He describes getting shouted updates from the LA Kings PR director, and he's representing the NHL on the evening, Dave Courtney. And so he's gotten word that NHL president John Ziegler, at the time they was, it was president, the commissioner only was created when Gary Bettman became commissioner in 93. Okay. So NHL president John Ziegler, he's meeting with Oilers GM and coach Glenn Sather and Bruins GM Harry Sinden behind closed doors about what to do. So there's a big conundrum because in theory, you could just say, we'll come back tomorrow night and just play the game then. But the Celtics are hosting the Pistons the next two nights in the Eastern Conference Finals. So they can't play the game tomorrow night. They got the other tenants coming in. Could they play in the afternoon? That's my question. That is what they talk about a lot. They're like, can they do a noon matinee and then flip the rink over, blah, blah, blah. The thing is, at the time, the Celtics and the Bruins didn't always get along in in terms of, like, use of the garden and playing in the rink. And uh, it's in part because, like, the Bruins were the bigger team first. And so... I believe they owned the building and the Celtics do not. And so, like, the Celtics at times are upset with the rent costs. They wanted their own place. So, and then, of course, you know, the commissioner, David Stern of the NBA... He didn't want to move anything as well or adjust for anything. So it's, uh, there's a definite question, big question there about could they do anything tomorrow? Could they do it early enough, switch everything over? So that's something they talk about. They talk about delaying it starting later this evening, starting it in the morning. They, they assume they're going to play this again, but when? So... Uh, Mickey Redman, who I mentioned briefly, he's part of the studio team at the rink that night. He reports that the fix is still an hour, hour and a half to two hours away. It's a wide window, but uh, (laughs) that is, again, at 10 p.m. So we're looking at 11, 1130 midnight. So ESPN solution to fill the time, they have the broadcast window until 1030. Um when, you know, the team on the ground isn't getting updates, there's only so much they can talk about. They end up showing highlights of the 1984 Stanley Cup Finals, which the Oilers <laughs> won four games to one uh, against the Islanders. So as you're sitting there uh, by the TV, hoping we'll finish out the game this evening, hoping for more updates, uh, you get to enjoy the scenes of tonight's opponents winning the Stanley Cup. So that sucks. <laughs> so... Uh... Speaking of the 1984 Stanley Cup Finals, that was the Oilers won it, correct? Yes, 4-1 um, to against the Islanders. I'm trying to just look here really quick. So, okay, so the Islanders won four in a row, then the Edmonton Oilers won two in a row, and then Montreal won in between, and the Edmonton Oilers won two more in a row. And then there was a, wow. another year off, and then the Oilers won again. This year. In yes. 1990. Crazy. So basically, yeah, the Islanders and the Oilers own the 80s. Yeah. Those two teams. That's it. 
So Christian, I got to ask at this point, what are you like, if you were a fan watching this at home or on your vacation, as I said, because you're watching the national broadcast on ESPN, it's 10 PM. The game's been delayed for a half hour. The power's still out. What are you thinking? What are you, what are you doing? What are you like? What's your, what's your game plan here? No, like knowing me, uh, I'm not exactly like a rational fan. The Bruins are down 3-0 in the series. This happens. I'm like, this. I, no, just put me out of my misery. Like, have the game come back and have the Bruins lose. That's what I want. Like, I can't <laughs> handle this, this delay. <laughs> like, they're not coming back against Gretzky's Oilers. So please get rid of this delay and just end the misery. Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> so you wanted to play it out, but purely so, like, this series can end because you know the series is not going to set. So I can get my summer started. <laughs> And back then, this is May twenty fourth. You're, you know, you can really get your summer started. You know, it's not yeah. a, it's not like now when it goes into what June, July, like, right. You know, I would sit around waiting for the game to come back all night. I mean, last year I watched the entire. Uh, who was that? Tampa and Carolina, who went for like seven hours when they were in the bubble. Like I watched that whole thing, and I don't even like those teams. You watched that so. the entire thing. I, so it started, uh, the overtime started at 3 p.m. It was a work day. Um, my girlfriend had to work an overnight, so I was just like alone in my apartment. And I was like, I might as well just leave this thing on till it's over. So it started during my work day and ended at 11 p.m. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> yeah, I would stick it out. Jesus. Because <laughs> at some point you're like, I've invested so much time, I got to see who wins. Exactly. And then Tampa won, who I hate. Yeah. So. Ugh. But yeah, no, I'd want my misery to end and the game to be over. All right. Well, let's see if well, how we would can you ha- feel. How would I feel? Um, ooh, I, I feel like I would be, especially then where I can't look at my phone and see what's going on. I would be glued to that TV. Right. If I could, if it was now and I could like get updates on my phone and see, I would do whatever and be like, yeah, I'll, I'll like get an update when they come back on and I'll go back to it. Uh, look, there's a video of the power out in the garden, whatever. But yeah. back then, I think I would have been, yeah, sitting there cracking another beer and being like, hey, yeah, we're in it for the long yeah, haul. I was going to say, it would just be crushing gansets. <laughs> yeah, just lots of lagers, lots of light beer. <laughs> Running back and forth to the bathroom in case it comes back. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So... All right. Well, so we've established that we're, we're hanging on here. We're seeing it through. And so now it's 10, 15. It's 45 minutes have elapsed since the power went out in the garden. Uh, and they've, they, you know, cut away from the highlights of the 84 Stanley Cup finals. And they finally cut to live footage from inside Boston Garden. We're back. <laughs> we're back. It's still so dim. But you can see people huddled around the, uh, the bench area. Apparently there are some Oilers who are out there in sweatsuits uh, just to like see what's going on, hang by the ice, they're bored, like what's going on. That's not a good sign if they're already undressed. If you yes, understand. exactly. They are <laughs> fully out of their gear. They're just chilling. But at least there seems to be improvement in the situation. Uh, Doc lets us know that the meeting location of Ziegler, Sather, and Sinden has changed. And no one seems to know where it's happening now. <laughs> They've lost the commi- the president of the NHL and the two GMs. The, the president has fled the scene. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> I got to get out of here. This is a shit show. <laughs> I have no solution for this. <laughs> <laughs> I got to write some new rules for this because this is not meant to happen. We need to make a new position commissioner so he can handle this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. So, like, he's speaking about the situation, about how they don't know where exactly they are. Um, but as they're speaking, the arena, like, gets even brighter. So it was, like, kind of dim. And now it gets it gets kind of bright. You can kind of see what's going on. It seems like most of the lights are back on in the building. And so they even say uh, that it seems like about like 80% maybe power or so, like most of it. It's not quite full, but it's almost there. Uh, So like maybe we'll see the rest of the game after all. At that point, I'm like, we're playing tonight. I see light in the arena. We got a game. I see the light. Not so fast. Uh, So... Mickey Redman comes back on and he reports that uh, apparently some of the Bruins have left the building. <laughs> Where'd they go? Home? <laughs> Just, I'm done with this. See you later. They're at, um, uh, they're at Sullivan's Tap on, uh, down the street. Honestly, yeah. The, the, the announcers make a joke. They're saying, like, it's a little early to be thirsty, but, like, they're, they, um, they make a joke about them being at the bar. And then Doc, of course... In classic Doc fashion, he has a story he that he shares. It's like about an AHL team who went like the power went out in their building. They went across the street to get beers. And after a delay, the power came back on. They're like, you gotta go back and play. And they're like, what? Like <laughs> they're drinking beer at the bar and they're like, you gotta get back in the rink and play. Like, and they went and finished the game. <laughs> How would you uh, do two beers in? trying to play hockey at a high level? Oh, uh, I have a rule. And I talk to my friend Jack about this all the time, about when we, we go running. As soon as you have a sip of alcohol, I'm, I'm not exercising. <laughs> Literally, it could be one sip and I'm not working out. So definitely I could not play hockey after one beer. I, I played in a pickup league last year, pre-COVID, and a dude, we were playing in South Boston, and a dude was cracking a Guinness on the bench. A Guinness all, of all beers, yeah, a Guinness. <laughs> I can, yeah, I can see a like a shit. A, give me a light beer that's a ice Miller Light. Guinness, just a thick ass stout. But Jesus, yeah. I mean, could you play hockey with? I could, I could play golf with a beer. I mean, but not hockey. After Doc's story about uh, the AHL team that goes and has beers and then has to finish their game, uh, what's left to do now? The room where it happens can't be found. Oilers are in tracksuits. Bruins have left the building. The only logical thing to do, of course, is to cut to reporter Tom Mees outside the garden with rowdy fans. Got to fill the time somehow, right? Right, right. So cut to Tom outside and the crowd gathered around. To his right is like the truck, is the production truck. Behind him are some, clearly some staff, like holding, setting up his, like making sure he has his audio gear and holding the crowd back. To his left, there's a couple of those like, you know, police wooden barriers and there's just crowds by him and they're all chanting we want to know we want to know <laughs> that's it they just want to know they don't care they, please let us know what's going on there's nothing more dangerous than a bunch of really drunk bostonians that are mad <laughs> it's one of the scariest sights you'll ever see yes and tom he tommy boy uh treats the crowd as somebody who is really not about wasted sports fans. 
he's an asshole. He's kind of like, uh, clearly like, ah, look at this drunk asshole, but not saying it. You know what I mean? I don't want to speak ill of, of, of the dead here. Uh, so I'm just going to leave it at that. But, uh, he was treating them with contempt for sure. Okay. And so he, uh, he walks up to the crowd after doing a quick little hit of, you know, we're outside the garden. He asked one guy if he kept his ticket stub so he could perhaps go back in if the game was resumed. That guy, yeah, he held on to it. He'll be able to go back in. Could you come back tomorrow? Yeah, I'll be here no matter what. Now, this might be my favorite interview. He approaches a young kid asking about his ticket stub. So the answer is priceless. Hold on. What about you, young man? Do you have your ticket stub? Snuck in the whole season. You have your ticket? No. Well, you obviously hope they're going to play this tonight, right? Sneak in again. All right. We got to find that kid. We got to know, like, what's going on. Let's get him on the podcast. I would love nothing more to, than to get the kid that snuck in the entire 87-88 season on the podcast. If you're out there, get in touch. Then, of course, you have your inebriated patrons nearby uh, that Tom happens to wander near. He doesn't even talk to this person. He just wanders near enough to him. I, I was talking to Johnny Moss. <laughs> well, as you can see, uh, the, the, mood, the mood out here is jovial. So... Tom Mees just walks away. He's just, he just, okay, and just pieces. He's like, nope. I just think it's hilarious. It's hilarious that this guy is out there and just does not want to be interviewing these people. No, he totally doesn't want to be there. Like, I don't know. He's like, this is miserable. You know, the kid says he snuck in all season. He doesn't know how to handle that. The drunk guy is yelling about Johnny Most in his ear. He asks one uh, woman, like, what do you think of this? And she's like, I think it's great. And he's like, you think it's great? It's like, this is fucking miserable. Like, (laughs) Though I will say the first time they cut to Tom Mees, nothing happens. He does like a normal little hit and it goes back in. The thing they're chanting is Bruins in seven. Bruins in seven. (laughs) Yeah, good luck. (laughs) You know what? I salute you to the Bruins in seven chanters. That is the optimism we need. And that's the optimism. The only like to a Boston fan at that point, aside from Celtics, you know, it's been at that point sixteen years since the Bruins won. The Red Sox, you know, that's going. Well, but they're two years out from that uh, through the legs. Uh, oh yeah, they, they've had that play. Buckner trauma. Yep. So you know, you gotta have the optimism if you're a Boston fan. Unfortunately, though, you have faced Gretzky in his prime. So. And like I said last podcast, when we kind of briefly mentioned this, it's like that Super Bowl against the Packers or whatever, where the Patriots just got smoked. It was against the Bears in 86, and they got murdered. Oh, yeah. I'm mixing up those two teams. We're gonna against uh, <laughs> the refrigerator. William, the refrigerator, Perry on the, on the Bears. Uh, the, the Super Bowl shuffle, I think it was, that they had. They had a little song out and everything. The 80s were fun, man. We missed them, though. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, back to the story. At this point, if you're watching this all unfold on ESPN, I imagine you're starting to really think this game isn't happening tonight. Uh, It's just about 1030. You're hearing now that they found out the meeting between the powers that be is now in the Bruins' offices, and there's still no final determination. And with that, the broadcast window for the game on ESPN closes. So they decide to move on to their regularly scheduled programming. Christian, can you guess what their regularly scheduled programming would have been at 10.30 p.m. on a Tuesday night? I, I mean, I want to say Sports Center, but I don't know if Sports Center was around back then. 
And now to truck and tractor pulling right here on ESPN, our regular program. The guy just, and now we go live to truck and tractor pulling. <laughs> that is oh the next. Oh my God. <laughs> if you're a Bruins fan, you are losing your shit right you are, now. <laughs> yeah. You want to know what's going on with the game. It's going to be played and they are going live to truck and tractor pulling. <laughs> now we go live to uh, wood chopping. <laughs> the great outdoor games. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So just like that, you're completely in the dark again. Pun intended. Uh, no more regular updates about where things stand. Just a promise that they'll come back, quote, as soon as news develops. So what even happens if the game can't be finished? Like, no one seemed to consider that as an option for much of the night. So like, they're always talking about, like, we'll play it later tonight. Maybe we'll play it in the morning. Like, there was never a, this game won't happen. Or, like, like there was no conversation about that. Uh, but in the end, that's exactly what happens. So NHL president John Ziegler gathers the media and he makes the following announcement. Bylaw 27.12, it reads, If for any cause beyond the control of the clubs, a playoff game should be unfinished, such game shall be replayed in its entirety at the end of the series, if necessary. Okay, so... This seems like bullshit. So now they got to go back to Edmonton. Exactly. The league <laughs> decides that the stats from the night count. So like the goals and the assists and stuff, like those players keep that on their record. Okay. But otherwise, the official game for it will now happen in Edmonton. And then if the Bruins win the next three games, they will head back to Boston for game seven. They will go game five Edmonton. Okay. Game six Boston. Or sorry. Now game four Edmonton, game five okay. Boston, game six Edmonton, game seven Boston. By the way, Edmonton is not close to Boston. Not at We're all. Thousands of miles of travel. Not at all close. <laughs> and so it's uh, like a ridiculous. So like in the record books, you look and this game just like says three, three, but it doesn't end in a tie. It just like doesn't count. But like it's still there. And there's still people that scored and there's still that 10 goal. 10 seconds in was like the record for quickest goal in NHL Stanley cup. Like, and that counted as the record, even though that game didn't count in the end as like a final school result, you know, have they changed this rule since then? I mean, this seems stupid. That is a great question, but I do guess it is one way to make sure your team has home ice for game seven. It's just like okay. have the power go out and then you'll come back home for game seven, you know, like, yeah. Strategy. I think the Bruins were really trying for this. That's all. Wow. All right. Well, here we are. We're going back to Edmonton to play game four, or four and a half, I'll call it. And at this point, you got to just be completely demoralized, right? Like, not only are you down 3-0, not only did your game at home a blackout happened and now it doesn't count and you're going back there. I mean, in the end, no matter what, even if this didn't happen, the Bruins probably wouldn't have won this series, but they probably would have won the game thinking about the energy they had coming off those big goals by, uh, our boy Glenn, you know? Yeah. You know, you give your, give the town that moment. They win a game, they celebrate that night and then, yeah, sure. Whatever. They lose when they go back to Edmonton or something, but they're not embarrassed. Yeah. Or who knows, maybe they pull off a Red Sox versus Yankees from uh, 04 when they come back from 3-0 down. But, but probably instead, not. what's 
but probably not. <laughs> Definitely not. This team is way better than them. Yeah. Uh, but sure enough, Edmonton, they take the next game 6-3, to three, and they lift their fourth Stanley Cup in five years. So Sad. the NHL blackout of 88 leads to nothing other than a game four in Edmonton and an Oilers win. Now you'd think that'd be the last Stanley Cup blackout in Boston Garden. But what no. are the odds it could happen again? Well, considering the building was kind of falling apart, probably pretty good. Yeah, really high apparently because <laughs> it went out in game one of the 1990 Stanley Cup finals. Against Edmonton. Exactly. And that means there were power outages at consecutive Stanley Cup games in the building. The last last game in 88, power goes out. They don't even finish the game. First game in 90, power goes out again. So it's I bet it's at that point where uh, Bruins ownership is like, we need a new building. Yeah, we need a new building for the love of God. And Edmonton is like, I don't want to play this shitty team ever again. Yeah, it's hot in here. I'm sweating. The power is going out again. Canadians so don't the do Bruins, heat. the Bruins met the Oilers again, and but this time they don't have Gretzky. And the Bruins had a better team. Like '88, it was maybe a little bit of a a fluke, if you will, or or you know they weren't supposed to maybe be there. '90, they were really good, and Bork and company outplayed them for most of the game. Yet they found themselves down 2-0 heading into the third. It was really unlucky. Uh, like at that point, Edmonton's goalie is Bill Ranford, who Bruin. I had his jersey. So on that night, in the end, he makes over fifty saves. This was game one, you said of nineteen ninety. So the Bruins were good enough to have home ice advantage then. Exactly, they had home ice. They have fifty shots. They're down two hours for the second period. They're getting unlucky, but then in the third period. Good old Ray, good old Raymond, he scores twice to send the game to OT. One overtime passes and a second overtime passes. Goes to a third overtime. And a light bank in the arena dims, of course, you know. It's the Boston Garden. That's, that's what happens here. So it wasn't quite the full blackout of 88. Um, and this time the problem was fixed and they were back out playing in just 24 minutes. Just 24 minutes. Fun fact about the 1990 team. There was a couple of familiar names on that team. Uh, Mr. Don Sweeney, current general manager of the Boston Bruins, was on that team. Uh, Mr. Bob Beers, color commentator on the radio for the Bruins. Uh, and then obviously Cam Neely, Ray Bork, those guys. They had a good squad. They had a strong squad. They were supposed to put up more of a fight than the sweep in 88. And yet... In the third overtime, after the power comes back on for the 24-minute delay, Peter, Peter Klima, Peter Klima, Peter Klima, uh, his last name is K-L-I-M-A. Yeah, we'll go with that. Klima. 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 Peter Klima. Uh, he went on to break Bruins' hearts with a goal at 15-13 in the third overtime making it the longest Stanley Cup Finals uh, game to this day. Wow. It got over at like one something in the morning. It was ridiculous. So did the Bruins get swept in 90 as well? They did not. They they won one game. But 
there's a, that is one of those like what if moments where if the Bruins win game one, they outplay them. If they can pull that off. Yeah. It's a whole different world. So after 1990, obviously the Bruins did not make a final until 2011. That is correct. This is the last time we see Stanley Cup final hockey in Boston until 2011. By 1995, the Garden was decommissioned in favor of the brand new Fleet Center, and the threat of Stanley Cup blackouts was no more. Cool. Well, this has been uh, Clawing Through History, Episode 2. RJ, thanks for coming uh, this week with uh, that great story. Do you want me to tease the next episode? Yes, please. I'm excited to not have to write an entire episode myself and just be able to sit back and, and listen to your sweet voice. So what do you got? So next uh, next time we're going to go way further back. We are going to talk about Mr. Uh, I said it's a lot, Mr. Player. I guess stop. We're going to be talking about Eddie Shore. Eddie Shore. Yeah, sure. Legendary Bruins defenseman, number retired, uh, one of the greatest defensemen of all time, all around psychopath. We're going to talk talk about him and uh, his incident with Ace Bailey of the Toronto Maple Leafs and how it led to the first NHL All-Star game. Mm, I dig it. I like it. Yeah. looking forward to it. So uh, it's a good story. We'll see. Cool. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will see you next time. 